in which we follow Christ through the scriptures. That's that's the whole the whole purpose behind of what we're looking at over these six weeks is six weeks is to follow the example of Christ when it comes to the scriptures themselves. We know that we're to follow the example of Christ in our life, we're to exemplify Christ, we're to reflect Christ in our lives. But if we're going to follow Christ in the way that he dealt with scriptures, we need to look at the way that he dealt with scriptures. Um, And tonight we'll be looking at reading the road signs. Again, we're taking that whole concept of a journey. We looked at the first week how Christ showed them himself in the Old Testament. We looked at the second week how Christ exemplified and explained the covenants, ultimately saying that he was giving them the sign of the covenant in his body and his blood. Last week we looked at, basically looked at context, looked at how Christ explained the context of scriptures. And this week we'll be looking at types. We look at the types in the Bible and how Christ exemplified and explained the types in the Old Testament as what they are in the New Testament. So looking at John chapter number 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said to Nicodemus, He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we know that this leads us into John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world may the world through him might be saved. So in the beginning of this section of Scripture, and we'll cover this section of Scripture towards the end of the lesson, but in the beginning of this section of Scripture, Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what Jesus is doing is he's saying there was a type of me in the Old Testament. He's explaining the gospel to Nicodemus through a type. A type itself is a... An object, an individual, and again, we'll get into some of this as we move on, but a type is something that we see in the Old Testament that isn't clear until we get to the New Testament. Uh, I know we've used the example before on the VCRs, how they used to, you put a tape in, and they used to have that little knob that you kind of had to mess with to get the static to go away in the tape. And that's kind of what the types in the Old Testament were. They were staticky pictures of Christ. You couldn't see the full thing, but they were kind of staticky pictures. These types and the fulfillment of these types are the things that are clearly seen in Scripture. We can see the types and we can see the fulfillment of these types. The word type itself, it comes from a word in Greek for pattern. And ironically enough, this word pattern, one of the places that we see it used in the New Testament is when Christ holds out his hands to Thomas and says, look, here are the, he says, he says, there's holes in my hands. There's a hole in my side. Come and put your hands through it. 
If you don't believe, come here. Come and feel it. Come and see it. When Christ uses that word whole or scar or, or whatever, I can't remember the exact word that's used. But when Christ uses that word, the word he uses is pattern. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that is, is made for an object to fit into, to be seen. It's, it's, it's literally a, a pattern. In the same way that we would think about it, if somebody's going to sew a dress, they have a pattern that they go by. He said, here's what it looks like. It's not the real dress. The pattern of the dress isn't the real dress, but you can see what the dress will look like. You can get an idea of how things are going to come together when you start to sew the dress itself. And that's what a pattern is in Scripture. We can't necessarily look at this serpent in the wilderness from Moses' standpoint and understand exactly what Christ is going to look like. But what we can see is that there's a pattern of Christ there that is being shown. A pattern or the word that we'll be using it is a type. A couple of things that we do need to be careful of, just like we talked about last week, where Spurgeon had mentioned... Every road leads to Christ, and we talked about that in our first, first chapter. I think it was last week we mentioned the, the one pastor that said he goes, you know, he said you can go cut through ditches and thorns and you'll eventually get there. And again, we understood that Spurgeon had told him you don't have to do that because the roads lead you there. So if we're going to follow the road signs, then it makes sense that we again understand that we aren't trying to force types of Christ into people, but that those types will be evident. Um, there, was, there was a writer back in the, I think, five 600 AD that he actually took the ark that Noah built and he started taking the dimensions of the ark and splitting the dimensions up and saying, well, you know, there's this dimension means this part of Christ. And there's three levels to the ark. So that stands for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he starts to come out with all these different types in the ark, of the, in the, in the ark that Noah built. But you kind of walk away from that saying, how in the world did he get that? If you walk away from a type in the Old Testament and don't clearly and visibly see Christ... Like you would see an exit sign on the interstate, then odds are you're trying to force a type of Christ where there isn't a type of Christ. We don't have to try and force Christ into the scriptures because he's there. He's there and it's clear. And so what we need to stay away from is trying to shove Christ into places where he's not. Because those narratives are there for a reason. And they are going to point us to Christ. But just because the ark points us to Christ doesn't mean that every dimension of the ark is about Christ, if that makes sense. The Bible is about Christ, but we're not necessarily taking every verse and trying to shove Christ into that verse. And again, hopefully I'm being clear. But what we'll be covering this evening is what types are, how the New Testament shows us to identify types, a few examples of types and how we can know that these types are grounded in reality and we're not just making things up. First of all, we'll look at what types are. And uh, Brother Ricky, if you don't mind going ahead and turn into Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 5. 
types in Scripture are visible marks. Like we talked about with, with the nails in Christ's hand. They're visible marks of Christ in the Old Testament. They're, they're easy to see. They're not, they're not hard to figure out. They're visible marks or patterns. Basically, what we, what we can think of is the types in Scripture are previews of what's to come. And this ties us back into where we're talking about the covenants. We talked about the, each covenant kind of unveiling Christ a little bit farther and a little bit farther. That's what these types did. These types were previews of what was to come. Just as Christ used the snake in the wilderness that Moses lifted up, it was a preview of what was to come. If I'm, my mind goes back, and again, this this may be this may be a dumb analogy, but back whenever I was probably Reese's age, my favorite part of watching a movie was the beginning because they had previews in the beginning. Even movie theaters, sometimes when you go to the movie theater, that's the best part of the movie is the previews at the beginning because you get little bits and you can't figure out the storyline. You can't figure out exactly what's going on. You don't know what the movie is about, but you've got a preview of what the movie is going to be about. And most of the time, those previews make you want to know what the movie's about. They make you want to go see that movie. And that's what these types were. These types were previews of Christ. We didn't get the whole storyline. We didn't get the whole picture. We couldn't leave and figure out the whole movie. But we can look in the Old Testament and we can see these previews of what's to come. And if we're seeing these previews, that's going to make us desire to see the real thing Anew, we see those previews that 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 should whet our appetite to see Christ again, and these types are unmistaken, unmistakable. I had to figure out how to say that exactly, but there aren't ways to mistake seeing Christ in the Old Testament. If if anybody looks at, and and we'll just use the text that we started with. If anybody looks at that text of scripture of Moses in the wilderness, snakes come in, start biting people and they die. And Moses lifts, lifts a snake up in the air and says, look and live. If we as believers who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit have the spirit illuminated scripture to us, it's unmistakable to be able to see Christ in those places. There are some, and again, I understand there are some places where it's not as as uh, apparent, but they're all going to be visible. It's, going to be, it's not going to be something that God's trying to hide from us because he wasn't trying to hide anything from the children of Israel. All of those commands that he gave, all those narratives that he played out, he wasn't hiding things. He was showing himself. So we understand that those are shadows. And Brother Ricky, if you don't mind reading Hebrews 8 and verse number 5. Moses was admonished to God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For 
see, saith he, that thou make all things according to pattern shaped to thee in the mouth. So God Himself, when He's speaking to Moses, tells him. Verse number eight. Verse for number five, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, These are going to be an example. They're going to be a shadow of heavenly things. He said, I want you to take this pattern and I want you to do these things according to this pattern. What Hebrews will tell us is that that pattern was Christ. So we can see these God Himself through the author of Hebrews has explained to those Hebrew believers that all these things in the Old Testament weren't pointless, that God had laid them out as shadows and patterns and examples of what was to come. One of the ways that we can illustrate a pattern or a type in the Old Testament is with a typewriter or a wax seal. So if you, if you think at what a typewriter actually does, I used a computer to print these things off to actually type these things up. I didn't use a typewriter, but what a typewriter does is it takes an, a typeset, whether it be an A, a B, whatever, whatever layer it is, it takes that typeset and it hits the paper. Now what you see on that paper is an A, but it's not the typeset that is the A, if that makes sense. Another way that even the, uh, the readers of the scriptures would have understood is a wax seal. When they would seal a document, if, if the king or Caesar or whomever was sending a document, they would seal it with wax. And they normally had a signet ring that they would press down into that hot wax. And you would see the seal to authenticate who it was from. That way you couldn't say, hey, this is from President Trump and it not have the seal of President Trump on it. That was, that was kind of the way they identified themselves, identified the accuracy of letters back in that day. That wax seal had the image of whoever it was there, but it wasn't the image itself. It wasn't the actual ring or the stamp or whatever it may have been. It was a, a pattern of it. And in that same way, that's what we're seeing in the Old Testament. We're not necessarily seeing Christ himself, but we're seeing a unmistakable pattern of Christ and of the work of Christ. Brother Charles, if you don't mind turning to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 through 47. In these verses, we see Paul doing the same thing that the author of Hebrews did and the same thing that Jesus did and mentions a pattern to us in that text of Scripture. In verse 45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man 
is the Lord from heaven. So we see Paul using a type in 1 Corinthians saying that Christ was the better Adam or the second Adam or the last Adam. Paul uses the person of Adam and points us into another direction that we can understand these types. So we understand that they are exact patterns in the Old Testament, but we also see that they are fulfillments of failures, in essence, in the Old Testament. Adam failed. Adam was put in a garden. He was tempted and he failed. We see Christ in the wilderness tempted and he succeeds. He, 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 he withstands that temptation from Satan where Adam failed the temptation. So Christ was literally a better Adam. He was a fulfillment of what Adam failed. And it says that he was heavenly. He was spiritual where Adam was earthly or natural. So that Adam brought death. And we know that from 1 Corinthians and another section of scripture. Death came through Adam. But life came through Jesus Christ. So we see that types, again, are patterns or examples or shadows of things that were to come. And the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter number 10, conveys this over and over. Hebrews 10 tells us that all these shadows found their substance in the person of Christ. They said, you saw the shadow of Christ, but... Christ was the person making the shadow that you didn't see. So understand what a type is. So how does the New Testament identify types in the Old Testament? What the New Testament does is it gives validity to the types of the Old Testament. And it makes references to those types. One of the things, the other places that we can see. So Paul, he mentions Adam here, that Christ is the better Adam or the last Adam or the second Adam. But another thing that we see, Paul says that Christ was the rock in the wilderness. That the rock that the water flowed from for the children of Israel, that that was a picture. It was a type of Christ. And we can see and draw understanding from that. Even if we look at the narrative, it says that the rock, how did water, how did that water that, that in essence brought life to the children of Israel who were getting ready to die from thirst, how did they get that water? The Bible says that God told Moses to do something very specific. He said, go up and he strike the rock. And it was a picture that the living water that Christ promised in John chapter 4 would come forth. From the rock being struck. God would strike his own son. And from him would come living water. Even when we read about the centurion. Going up to make sure Christ was dead. He said he he pierced his heart. And out came blood and water. It wasn't a mistake that the author wrote that down. This living water was coming from Christ. And then that's the same reason that Moses did. The reason Moses didn't enter into Canaan was because God told him the next time to go and speak to the rock. Well, Moses got mad and went and hit the rock again. So what Moses did is he messed up the picture that God was trying to show. 
And most of the time when we find people dying in the Old Testament over something like that, it's because they tried to mess up what God was trying to show. It's like somebody, it's like you have a preview of a movie and somebody running in and trying to photobomb that preview. It messes up the whole thing. And that's what those people were doing. Those people who gave strange fire to the Lord, they were messing up the picture of Christ. Because God said, this is the way that you do things. And if God allowed them to live, then we could look back at those pictures and they would be inconsistent. You'd see people, well, if they can do it a different way, then we can get to Christ a different way. Or maybe we need to go smite Christ again. That's basically what the Catholics teach. That you have to again put Christ on the cross. You have to again see him on the cross in order to take care of your sins over and over again. The one time wasn't enough. You've got to see it happen again. And that's what we draw from those pictures is that whenever something like that happens, it pushes us somewhere away from the gospel and back into ourselves. But that's, that's why we can, we can even gain some understanding, not that that was about Moses specifically, but we can gain understanding as to why God didn't allow him in the promised land. Because Moses, while what would seem insignificant to us, he hit a rock instead of talking to it, God understood that Moses had messed up that picture of the gospel. And that was, that was what Moses, that was the crime Moses committed. It wasn't just hitting the rock. And it was, while it was disobedience, it was even farther than that. It was disobedience against the gospel. The same thing that we see people do today. And it's a wonder God doesn't kill us sometimes. But we see people today that will mess up the gospel. Some knowingly, some unknowingly. But it's not something for us to go in and try and fix. It's not something for us to bring in better ideas God has given us Christ, and we're not to touch it, just like Moses wasn't to touch the rock. Anyway, so we see those things, those, those identifications that the New Testament points us to. And there are a lot of references, and I would challenge if you get some time to look some of these up, to go you know, Google or whatever. But the New Testament identifies types by saying things like, This happened so that, or this took place so that, or as it is written, this. There's all these places in the New Testament that we read things along those lines. And what the authors of the New Testament are doing is they're pointing us saying this is the reason this just happened because somebody back here talked about it. Or somebody back here was a part of this picture. Or somebody over here, this happened because of that. Even in some of the institutes, and again, we're, we're about to get ready to get into that. Actually, we'll, we'll back up and we'll come at this in just a second. Lindsay, if you don't mind, Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 5. And then Samuel, if you'll look at John 2 verses 18 through 22. So Matthew 2, chapter, Matthew chapter number 2 and verse number 5 gives us an example of the New Testament identifying an Old Testament type. Go ahead. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So we understood that why was, why was Christ born in Bethlehem? 
is it points us back to a prophecy that happened. It was written that this would happen. The, the prophet said he would be born in Bethlehem. That was a very distinct shadow of Christ. And that prophecy was fulfilled. And Sam, if you don't mind reading John 2, 18 through 22. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign shewest thou unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and sixty years was the temple and building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So Christ himself, again, is pointing to a type of himself. He uses the temple as an example. And what we find in the New Testament is that the promises and the prophecies of Christ are embedded in events that happened concerning Christ. Christ came to them. He said, you tear down this temple in three days. I'll build it up. They missed the point. Now, we understand looking at the scripture today that obviously he was talking about himself. And the disciples, even after his resurrection, said, oh, that's what he meant. He was talking about himself. He's going to raise up in three days because he was saying he is the temple. Taking us back to what we looked at in Hebrews, even the tabernacle was a picture of Christ. The tabernacle meant to dwell. And what did Christ come to earth to do? He came to dwell. The tabernacle is where the presence of the Lord would reside. Where does the presence of the Lord reside on earth? It it resided in Christ. The person of Christ was God, literally God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. God tabernacled with us. First, the book of John, chapter number one, says that the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. So we see that Christ is in these events and the different types of Christ. As we go through the Old Testament, we can see in individuals, we can see in events, and we can see in institutions. Some of the examples of these things. Individuals, we think of Joseph. Joseph was a type of Christ. Joseph, he, we don't find recorded where Joseph sinned. We know he did. But we don't find recorded. Joseph, he, he was an upright man. We understand that Christ was upright. But ultimately, Joseph saved his people. And that's what we see in Christ. We see individuals like Boaz who redeemed somebody who was unredeemable by the closer kinsman. That individual was a type of Christ. David. David came in. He slew Goliath, the giant, the one who the whole army of Israel was scared of, couldn't do anything to defeat And just sat there basically under bondage to his rants and his raves. David comes in, somebody who is unexpected, and kills the giant in the place of everybody who should have killed the giant. But they couldn't. They wouldn't. 
and we see Christ. Christ came when we were scared, when we were basically in bondage to to Satan and to sin. Christ comes in and he takes care of our enemy for us. Those types, those individuals that we see in the Old Testament were pointing us to Christ. But the beauty with that, and I know we talked about this some the other week, whether it's Samson who sacrificed himself for his people, David who defeated the enemy that his people couldn't defeat, Boaz who redeemed someone that couldn't be redeemed by anyone else, all of these people were flawed. Samson was sleeping around with women, messing with honey, touching dead stuff, doing all this stuff that he wasn't supposed to do, and was ultimately killed. David, murderous, commits adultery with Bathsheba. All of these individuals had their flaws, but Christ was the perfect fulfillment of all those people. And that's what the ultimately the gist of all these individuals were. These individuals, these these key people that we see weren't just people for the sake of being people. God just didn't do all this by happenstance. He was he was playing things out to show us Christ. But we saw the better Christ. Just as Adam was a picture of Christ, Christ was the fulfillment of where Adam failed. Christ fulfilled where David failed. Christ, he was, David was the king. Christ is the king and he is the king that reigns forever. He is the fulfillment of where David failed. He's the fulfillment of where Samson failed. He fulfills all these individuals. So we see if individuals, there are events like Passover. The Bible says at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus talks to Moses and Elijah about the exodus. That's the word the scriptures use. The exodus that was getting ready to happen. That exodus was a picture of what Christ would do. That event was a picture of Christ. He would come in. The blood was there on the doorpost. What does that point us to? It points us to Christ. Who can get in? Anybody. What's the stipulation that they go in? If we're in Christ, the blood covers us. And we're safe from the destroyer that comes through. When our enemies come after us, who is the way of escape? It's Christ. What happens to our enemies after he makes that way of escape? They all are done away with. And that's what Christ did. These events like this that we see in Scripture point us to Christ. It was the preview of what was to come. It was a pattern of what was to come. And we don't have to try and say, we don't have to try and shove Jesus into those patterns. We can look at those and easily see Christ in those patterns in the Old Testament. And even in institutions. One of the ones that comes to mind is that it was called the Feast of Boots or the Feast of Tents. They would bring water pots in. That's what they would, that was just, I mean, that was part of it. They would bring water pots in to the city. They didn't really know the reason. All they know is they brought water pots into the city to give people to drink. There were some other stuff in there that I will admit to my ignorance, and I haven't studied it all out, but I know that was part of that feast of boots. Ironically enough, when Christ comes in, turns the water into wine, 
It's during that Feast of Booths. Christ is saying, I am the fulfillment of those things. The other institutions that we see, Passover, we understand how that ties in to Christ. The institutions of the sacrifices, we understand how the sacrifices show us Christ. And here, this, this graph that I put, that is it's the same type of graph that we used as we've gone and walked through things. But we had this graph here. So we in the beginning we had the streams and we had the pond. Everything had no had no meaning behind it. So we've started kind of adding things in as we've moved through this through these chapters. But we can see here that we have the stream from Adam, Noah, Moses, Abraham, David. They're all flowing into that new covenant of Christ. But we can see the types in these people. The type Adam, the type of Christ, he was the second Adam, the better Adam. With Noah, it shows us that Christ will rescue us from judgment. With Abraham, what do we automatically think of when we think of Abraham? Think of Abraham and Isaac. A father gave his son willingly. He says God will provide himself a lamb. There's a ram there waiting. We see these pictures of Christ. The sacrifice of his son was a picture of Christ. In Moses, we see the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a type of Christ because Christ would dwell with us. With David, we see a shepherd and a king. Even David himself saw Christ. He said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus in John chapter number 10 said, I am the good shepherd. Christ is in revelation. He is the king of kings. All of these people, all these main figures that we see, all flow into the stream of Christ. So the covenants that these people made with these people, they flow into Christ. The types of these people, they flow into Christ. They all point us to Christ and the covenant that we have with him. So we see how the New Testament identifies Christ. Number three, what are some examples? And some of these we have covered. But one of the main ones that we can look at is the Old Testament sacrifices. They were examples of Christ. God didn't have Moses Killing animals all the time for no reason. Even if we look in the book of Malachi, God says in the book of Malachi, he said, I am tired of the blood. I'm tired of you killing bulls and goats. I'm tired of that. Which seems confusing because God told them to do that. But what God was saying, he said his whole point to Malachi, in Malachi and what book comes directly after Malachi? Matthew. So Christ was getting ready to come. But the whole point of Malachi, God was basically telling them, you've gotten these rituals down pat, but you've missed the point. You're looking at the rituals. You're looking at the type as being the thing. When the type is a type of the thing, not the thing. So we see God saying, basically, it was never about the blood. It was never about that. It was about them coming into a relationship with him. And that relationship would come from the person of Jesus Christ. 
all, again, all that, all those sacrifices, if you read through there, the way that they were to do things, where they sprinkled salt on the altar before they gave a sacrifice, the Bible tells us that we're the salt of the earth. Why aren't we the salt of the earth? Because we came from Christ. Christ was there before the sacrifice even happened. And Christ, in the text, was in the world being the light, he said, I, he didn't say, I will be the light of the world after I'm crucified. He said, I am the light of the world. We see the light, we see the salt, we see all these different aspects that are put into the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Those are examples of types. And again, we can, we've talked about some of these other examples, but we can look through there and we can see examples of why God did things specifically. Why God dealt in specific ways was to point us to Christ. Types can be seen in their resemblance, but also in their contrast. So we see that Abraham and Isaac resemble Christ, resemble what's going to happen. But again, if we look at Adam, we see the contrast. Adam didn't resemble Christ. He failed. There were some, some aspects that tied them together, but ultimately Adam failed. So we have a contrast. Even in the book of Romans, as we've walked through the book of Romans, we've seen Adam brought death, but Christ brought life. So we have the contrast between death and life. We have the contrast in what Brother Charles read. We have the contrast between the earthly and the heavenly, the spiritual and the carnal. Again, the life and the death. We see this contrast where Christ is the better Adam or the last Adam or the second Adam. Dave, you don't mind turning to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And this points out some of those, some of those examples of those types. How Christ was a better sacrifice and that's ultimately, again, I know we talked about that last week, and I, and I don't mean to, to keep beating that horse, but Hebrews is the ultimate place to see these things in Scripture. You, you don't read Hebrews and not come away understanding that it was all Christ. But anyway, whenever you've got it. Which was a figure for the time and present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood in meat and drinks and divers washings, carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. But Christ... Being, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of bulls and goats and calves but his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us for it, for if the blood of bulls and goats and of ashes of an heifer sprinkled on unclean sacrifice, sacrifices 
to the purifying of the flesh. Go ahead and read verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who though the eternal spirit offered him without spot to God, hurts our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So again, we see in Hebrews, he says specifically, but Christ became a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. In verse 13, he states what he stated in Malachi. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer of the unclean sanctifieth and purifieth, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered without spot to God purge your consciences from dead works to serve the living God? The book of Hebrews points us to the Old Testament that points us to Christ. He is the better sacrifice. He said all these blood of bulls and goats, it was pointing to one person. And he tells us who that was in verse number 11. He said the high priest, you remember that guy in the Old Testament? That was pointing to Christ. Christ is the better high priest. All those things, those good things you did... It was pointing to the good things to come. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. He said, he said the better tabernacle wasn't even a building. It was a person who came to dwell with his people. It's, it's, it's the complete fulfillment of creation. And that ties us back in what we talked about two weeks ago. It's no wonder that the scriptures point us to a new heavens and a new earth. The old things are passed away. They're going to go away. All the old things are going to go away and God is going to restore. I was, I was reading today. Even the scriptures tell us that nature groans within itself looking for the same redemption that we look for. Our bodies, as we get older, they start to ache. They start to hurt. Vision starts to go. Teeth start to fall out. Toenails start to break off. All these things happen. But with every ache and pain, it's our body groaning to be redeemed. Every time that I get up and my back hurt, I shouldn't think, oh, my back hurts today. I should be thinking, one day I want to be redeemed. These, these days that we deal with here lately that are so hot, it's the nature around us groaning to be redeemed. Those thunderstorms that come in the middle of the, the, middle of the evenings here lately. Though every time it thunders, it's nature groaning, desiring to be redeemed, to be uncursed. Christ came to do away with that curse and he is going to completely do away with it. The Bible tells us the end of the age. When he comes back, he's doing away with everything. He's burning it up with fire and he's creating 
creation again. But this time, the book of Revelation tells us that he will dwell with his people. Adam dwelled in the garden. Adam messed it up. Perfect. Paradise. Everything was absolutely perfect. God created everything and he said it was good. And if God says it's good, I'm pretty sure it was. But that's what Christ came to do. He's come to redeem his creation. Us as his creation. He's coming to redeem the rest of it. He's going to put us back, the scriptures tell us, into a garden where he dwells. And he is not going to mess this up. He's not, he's already, he's already dealt with the temptation. He's already, he's already done better than Adam. He's crushed the serpent's head. And he is going to reign in that restored creation. He's the better everything. And that's, that's the, if you read through Hebrews, the word better comes up over and over and over and over because Christ is better. It says he having obtained eternal redemption for us. He's already done it. And it points us all to him. So lastly, how are types grounded in reality? How are we not just pulling stuff out of our rear? Are we not just blowing smoke about all these types in Scripture? Well, we know mathematically it's impossible. You can't fulfill all the types in the Old Testament in one person and it not be supernatural. I think we've talked about that before, how there's a better chance that you drop a book out of the sky. All the pages go all over the place and it land in one book creating a dictionary that didn't have begin to start with. Mathematically, that's, that's more likely to happen than Christ fulfilling all these things. But what we understand is that all these things are grounded in Christ because we have a God who is sovereign over history. All these types, all these promises don't work if history wasn't being controlled. It just doesn't work. Why can God prophesy something to Isaiah that takes place roughly 600 years later? How can, how, why can God do that? Because he's in control. He's doing the things. What we see around us today, everything that's happening today, has God stepped back and said, you know what? We'll just let y'all do what y'all want to do. The Bible doesn't give us any indication of anything like that. Even the crucifixion at the book of Acts tells us that God ordained before the foundations of the world that these things should take place. God is sovereign over everything that's happening. Why? Why did Boaz redeem Ruth? Why did Elimelech go to Moab? Why was there a near kinsman? Why did, I know we've talked about it before, why did Ruth end up in the field she ended up in? Because there was someone controlling these things. 
And we're not saying that, that God has set robots in place. But God controls what happens. He is sovereign over those things. And because of that, He created all these pictures for us to see of His Son. No matter what the event or the individual in the Scriptures, Jesus is the hero every time. It always points us to Him. David's not the hero. Samson wasn't the hero. Joseph wasn't the hero. And for goodness sake, me and you are not the hero. Christ is the hero every time. And we see this application in John chapter number 3, verses 14 and 15, which we read at the beginning. It said that Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. Christ said, this was a picture of me. When we think about that, what happened? If we, really, if, we, if we really think about what happened in that story, in the book of Numbers, people sinned. People sinned. God sent venomous snakes into where they sinned. It wasn't, it wasn't that God just did it for fun. Because of their sin, these snakes came in and started biting people. So God tells Moses, you take a serpent, make an image of a serpent on a pole, hold it up, lift it up in the wilderness. Those who were infected by the curse were to look at something that was made like the curse for them. What the Bible tells us that Christ was made in our likeness, but took upon him the curse. Even, even the Old Testament tells us, it says that everyone who is lifted up on a tree is cursed. But God told Moses, take that thing that's cursed, hold it up. And how, how, how does that rescue happen? He said, just look. He didn't say you had to do anything. He didn't say you had to go anywhere. He didn't say that you had to sacrifice or give or anything. He said simply look and live. And that's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. He was saying just like that happened, just like what that curse was was lifted up, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And he says, why did all this happen? Because God loved the world. Why did God give the Israelites a cure for that curse? Because God loved them. And even in verse 17, he says the world, he didn't come in the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. Moses didn't bring that snake in to condemn the people because they were already condemned. It wasn't that snake that he lifted up that condemned anybody. They were living in their condemnation, suffering from their own doing. But Christ was made sin for us. And that's what he meant when he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. That's what he was talking about. He was saying, when I'm lifted up, all anybody's going to have to do is look and live. Anybody who wants to. He, wasn't, he didn't give them any, any, any people groups, any races, any male or female, any age. He didn't give them any of that. He said, 
that he would draw the attention of everybody. And if we look around in the world today, we don't have just a group of people that have the scriptures like the Israelites did. We see God drawing all types of people to himself. That scriptures are pulling all kinds of people to him. He's bringing all men. Anybody who is willing to look at what he's done and live. And that's what we see in the scriptures. If we look at the scriptures as these road signs to point us to Christ, we can again, and I know this has been the the gist of everything that we've done here for the past year and a half or better, is to find ways to find the gospel in everything. What this does for us is when we have people who come to us and out of the middle of nowhere bring up something about the scriptures or even not about the scriptures, we're able to find Christ. We're able to point them to Christ. I mean, if you look at the medical symbol in America, it's a snake on a rod. They're carrying around the gospel on every ambulance in this county. We've just got to show it to people. We're given these types in Scripture to point us to Christ, but not just to point us to Christ, to point other people to Christ. When people ask us, and and I, I know this happens because this happened to me, when somebody asks about the ark, is the ark really about Noah? No. It's about Christ. It was a type of Christ. Was the creation about Adam and Eve? It was pointing to Christ. No matter what part of conversation comes out, God has given us the way to point us and anyone else to that serpent who was lifted up in the wilderness. That that man who is drawing anybody who will come to himself. That's all that's all we're doing. That's that's why God has given us this whole book about Christ. So that we can see Christ, we can enjoy Christ, we can find him, we can love him, we can grow to know him better, and we can point other people to him. That's why we're here. To enjoy Christ and to bring other people into that same enjoyment that we have. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for another chance to be in your house.